This is the last message in our Gospel Roots sermon series that we've been doing in 2017. Last week we completed our series in the book of Galatians. Next week we'll start a brand new sermon series. This week we're completing our other series on the foundational values that have shaped our church family for the last 125 years, what we've called our gospel roots. It's been a great year to look back on what has been most important to our congregation. First, the gospel itself. Jesus Christ and Him crucified, what we just symbolized at this table. Then singing in corporate worship, what we've been doing this morning is we've been raising our voices to the Prince of Peace, sharing the gospel in evangelism, seeking the lost, having the same heart for the lost that the Father has, being a praying church, the church that prays together, being a church that stands on the Word of God. Anybody remember the Swedish catchphrase for that, for standing on the Word of God? Var starred skrivet. What does that mean? Where stands it written? That's right. Show me in the Bible. Being a missions-minded church and supporting the people whose pictures are on our fridges. Being a loving church family that supports and cares for one another. Being a church full of servants that that use their gifts in ministry. Being a self-governing congregational church whose members are a royal priesthood making the big decisions together under Christ for this church. Being a church that is an heir of the Protestant Reformation. Taking our stand on the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And being a church that trusts that God even in times of trouble, putting our faith in His steadfast love and His mercies that are new every morning. That's our church. Well, it's at least the church that we've aspired to be over the last 125 years. That's the church we want to be, the church we have been when we've been at our best in God's grace. Today I have one last gospel root to emphasize, and it's very important. We have in our 125-year history emphasized the return of Jesus Christ. This world is not all that there is. This is not as good as it gets. This is not it. Jesus Christ is coming again, and He's going to bring His kingdom. And the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Jesus Christ will come back, and He will change everything. He will restore everything to how it was supposed to be in the beginning. And even better, He will bring justice and He will bring salvation. That's actually what the song Joy to the World is all about by Isaac Watts. We sing it at Christmas time every year, but it's actually not about Jesus' first advent, but about His second advent. His second coming. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. No more let, so- no more let you know about sorrows grow. Nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love. This church has been singing that song for a long time. 
Probably all 125 years. I didn't look in the old hymnal to see if it's in there. It's the return of Christ has, has always been one of the threads woven through the fabric of our century and a quarter together. And it goes back even farther than that. Do you remember those lay Bible readers who spoke this language up here? And we've mentioned several times this year from Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, especially the old Swedes in Sweden who wanted to read the Bible for themselves. Remember how I've mentioned that? Well, those old Swedes rediscovered the importance and encouragement that comes from believing in the second coming. In his book, This We Believe, Dr. Arnold T. Olson, the great EFCA president from the last century, wrote, Even in the old country, as these future immigrants to our shores began studying the Bible, there was kindled a little flame of hope in their hearts. Christ's coming was not only to judge. The the state church had emphasized Jesus is coming to judge. So they had heard that message. That's all they'd heard. There's so much more. Not only to judge To the Christian, it was a hope, a blessed hope, a much-to-be-desired event, the return of Christ. So there was added to the main points of discussion in prayer and Bible study groups another question. What does the Scripture teach about the last things and the coming of the Lord? Lay preachers became zealous prophets, warning the sinner and the backslider and exhorting the saint to make ready for the sure and soon return of Christ. It caught fire. Anybody remember this guy? Remember this, this, this fellow from the uh, sermon this summer? That's not a Civil War general, okay? Kind of looks like it, right? About the right era. Does anyone remember who that is? Frederick Franson. All right, very good. He was that early free church leader who was always on the hunt for what? Missionaries, right? He visited our church. About five years. When our church was just a little baby church, he visited our church. Our church was only five years old. And he came to our church looking for missionaries. And our church promised to support the kinds of missionaries that he was raising up until when? Until Christ returned. Now I'm pretty sure our forebearers couldn't have imagined that we'd still be doing it 125 years later. But that was the promise that our forebears made until the Lord returned. See, Franson preached the return of Christ. Franson was so passionate about missions because he was so passionate about the return of Jesus Christ. Dr. Olson wrote that Franson's missionary conferences were also prophetic conferences. The great burden of his appeal for missionary volunteers was the urgency of the hour. Not only were souls dying... But the Lord was coming. No time could be wasted as the king's business required haste. The gospel had to be preached until until all the ends of the earth. So it was in that kind of a church culture and that kind of a spiritual movement that our particular church was born and grew. In the original constitution of our church, the founders called upon all the members to have entrusted themselves to the Lord and to persevere and come to the final fulfillment, namely at last to be transformed with Christ in glory. And the theme of Christ's return has permeated the teaching of our church for 125 years. I read in our history book that we used to have watch night services on New Year's Eve that we shared with the Lance Baptist Church. I remember when I first got here listening to audio tapes that were still up there in the old sound room 
from Pastor Kelly preaching on the return of Christ. And I've tried to keep up the tradition by regularly preaching and teaching about the second advent. I was encouraged this last summer when I was going through our doctrinal statement with Nathan Christofitz and Matt Modzel, that they both felt like they had learned about Jesus' return through the ministry of this church. I always feel like eschatology is like my weakest subject, but as, I, as we were going over it, they're like, yeah, you've taught us that. You, you've shown us those things. And that was encouraging to me. B and Raph Johnson put at the end of the 100-year history, and Lita copied it again at the end of our 125-year history, quote, May we serve the Lord with renewed vision and effort until He comes. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Those are the last words in our history book. Those are just a few of the ways that this doctrine has worked itself into the life of this church. So what is this doctrine? What does the Bible teach about the return of Christ? Let's look at Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And yes, that was all an introduction but don't worry, the sermon itself will be very short. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank You for this promise of the return of Christ. I pray that we would consider it this morning and consider what difference it makes for our life today. Thank You for those that have preached it in our history, and I pray that it would be faithfully proclaimed in our day. We pray it in the name of the One who is to come, the Lord Jesus. Amen. I think this short passage of Scripture forces us to ask two very important questions for our life. Two very simple questions, but very important ones. Here's number one. Are you ready? Are you ready? Specifically, are you ready to face the judgment of God? Look again at verse 27. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Just stop right there. That's a pretty big opening clause, isn't it? There's a lot of truth in that sentence. Humans, he says, are destined to die. How many times? One time. And after that comes what? Judgment. Not reincarnation? No, judgment. If you have the King James Version in front of you, it says, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. How do you feel about appointments? I generally like appointments, as long as it's not to the dentist or the doctor, right? But this one says that everybody has an appointment with death. And unless we are a part of the generation alive when the Lord returns, we're going to keep that appointment, guaranteed. One of my favorite stories from Peter Marshall, the late chaplain of the U.S. Senate, is the story of the of the servant of a merchant in ancient Baghdad. You've probably heard me tell it several times. I love it. I heard it when I was a teen and it's affected me ever since. One day, the merchant sent his servant to the market in Baghdad. Before very long, the servant came back, white and trembling and in great agitation, said to his master, down in the market, I was jostled by a person in the crowd and when I turned around, I saw it was death that jostled me. 
Death looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Master, please lend me your horse, for I must hasten away to avoid death. I will ride to Samara, and there I will hide, and death will not find me. The merchant lent him his horse, and the servant galloped away in great haste. Later the merchant went down to the marketplace himself and found death standing in the crowd. He went over and asked, Why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make such a threatening gesture? That was not a threatening gesture, death said. It was only a start of surprise. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad, for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. That's not in our Bible, but it it has a truth to it. We will all show up for our appointment with death. Of course, that's really nothing. So we die, big deal. What's an even more terrible thought is what comes after that death. We will face judgment. God is saying in His Word that we are all destined to face the judgment of God. And here's the question. You ready for that? How could anybody be ready if they understood themselves? We are sinful. We are unholy. We are rebels against God's perfection. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. How could we be ready? You know the answer to that, right? I hope you know the answer to that. Is the answer on your tongue? Do you still have the taste in your mouth of the bread and the cup? Verse 28 tells us how someone gets ready. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. That's the only way that we can face judgment and survive. Not the bread and the cup, but what those point to. The death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That phrase there, take away the sins, that should... Hearken us back to Isaiah 53. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. That's why we started with communion today. Are you ready to face the judgment? So many are not ready. The only ones who are ready are those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Those who have put their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. To those that are justified, counted as righteous in Christ. There's no reincarnation. There's no do-overs. There's only death and judgment. And you and I will fail that judgment if we are outside of Jesus. But if we're in Jesus, we'll be saved. We'll pass through the judgment into life. That's why this church preaches Christ. Last Sunday, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus can save us. The gospel says that Jesus has come to make us ready to face death and judgment. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what the first Advent is all about. That's why we've decorated, okay? It's not for singing songs and being happy and being nice to each other. It's about celebrating the coming of a Savior 
who died for us. The gospel says that Jesus has come to make us ready to face death and judgment. But this letter says more. It says that Jesus will come again, and this time to bring salvation. Look again at verse 28. And he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin this time. He's not going to suffer on the cross at the second coming. But to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Second and last question this morning. Are you waiting? Are you waiting? Because this verse actually says you can know you're ready if you know you're waiting. The people who get the salvation that the returning Christ is bringing are those who are, King James, looking for Him. English Standard Version, eagerly awaiting Him. They're the ones who have faith and hope in Jesus, so they long for His appearing. You can know you're ready if you know you're waiting. So how do you know if you're waiting? What does waiting look like in the Bible, this, this waiting for the return of Christ. Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's not just sitting around and twiddling your thumbs. The eager expectation and the watching and the waiting in the New Testament, it's a very active sort of thing. We're to be busy for the Lord while we wait for Him. The old King James Version is occupy until He comes. Our EFCA statement of faith puts it this way. We believe in the personal, bodily, and premillennial return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy. And as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. I think that says it very well. Godly living, it says. You know you're waiting if you're growing in godliness. Your faith in Christ and your hope for His return motivates you in your sanctification. 1 John 3 says, We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, just as He is pure. So we fight against temptation and sin because we know Jesus is coming back. And when we do sin, we confess it and we repent it and we get, repent of it and we get back up and we go again. And we keep gathering together for this kind of corporate worship and mutual edification and Christian community. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some have dropped out of church. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, as church becomes more important as the return of Christ gets closer. And is the return of Christ getting closer? Every day. So gathering together as a church becomes more and more important. Sacrificial service. In Evangelical Convictions, our explanation book of the EFCA Statement of Faith, the authors write about how being watchful means that we are energetically serving the Lord. They say, being watchful does not mean that we should sit out on the porch like a lonely dog, pining away until our master returns. Instead, we're to live with the certainty that Christ is coming, and when he does, we will be held accountable for how we have lived. Jesus compared our situation to that of stewards responsible for the master's estate or to financial managers entrusted with the master's money. We have a job to do. And when our master returns, he will reward his servants for their faithfulness. 
I just preached on that last month when I was at the Deep and Wide Conference. How we're to do our jobs, our work, faithfully in light of the coming of Christ. Did you do that this week? Did you, did you do your job faithfully because you know that Jesus is coming back and coming back soon? Energetic mission. Just like Frederick Franson told us over a hundred years ago, we need to get the gospel out because Jesus is coming back soon. We need to tell other people because the return of Christ is impending. Now, I don't know when. Nobody knows when but God. The worst kind of preaching on the end times is the kind that gives you the idea that you know when it's all going to happen. We don't. Our Lord Jesus said that he didn't even know when it was going to happen when he was here in the flesh. If Jesus didn't know, we shouldn't start acting like we do. Our Sunday school class just last week read Acts chapter 1. The disciples said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. That's not for us to know. We're on a need-to-know basis when it comes to the return of Christ. So we need to be humble about it. Very humble about it. By the way, I love that about our approach to the end times in the EFCA. We believe they're very important to study. We believe that it's very clear that Jesus will return. His return will be personal and bodily. Just like he left, he will come back. Not some invisible return or a spiritual return, like it happened and we didn't even notice. No. We believe it's important to study all the details that the Bible gives us about the end times. Daniel, Revelation, the Olivet Discourse, the, book of, the books of Thessalonians. It's all over the Bible and it's all to be studied and learned. But we also believe that there are a lot of details that are hard to understand and hard to synthesize. Can I get an amen on that? Eschatology, hard to put into order. It hasn't happened yet, so there's a lot to try to get straight. And Christians have disagreed over the, final, the finer details of eschatology for a long time. Like every other area of doctrine, we agree on all of the essentials and we allow people to disagree on the non-essentials, the, on the secondary things. Not that both are true or that they're all true, but that we extend grace and try to help each other to see what we see there. To use the big words, we have people who believe in pre-tribulationalism, mid-tribulationalism, pre-wrath, post-tribulationalism, and probably other positions. Some of you believe in post-tribulationalism or pan-tribulationalism. It'll all pan out in the end, right? And somehow we all get along. And like I told you this last summer, we are in the EFCA considering opening our doctrinal stance just a little wider by no longer requiring premillennialism. I'm a committed premillennialist, but I don't think it's an essential like the other things in our statement of faith. I think it's secondary at best. And I love that we're talking about all of this because it's all in the Bible and it's all important. And we need to study it and learn it and to stay humble about it at the same time. This waiting in verse 28 is not setting dates. It's staying busy and staying watchful and purifying ourselves and staying in fellowship with others. And it is longing for Jesus to come back. Longing. Do you long for Jesus to return? 
I'm going to say you are not ready if you don't have some desire for Jesus to return. Now, I'm, saying you, I'm not saying you think about it every day and, it, and it's, it's your all-consuming passion for Jesus to return. But in your heart, do you want Christ to return? I remember when I was a youth pastor, I was out with uh, one of the teens and he was very honest with me and he, he turned to me one night, we were bowling, and he says, I hope God doesn't return until I get married. He, he wanted to get married. He wanted that marriage experience. He didn't want Jesus to return before then. Okay, I totally get that. But do you want Christ to return? Do you long for it? Do you long for the world to be turned right side up and everything to be fixed, everything to be restored, everything to be the way it was supposed to be, and even better? And do you long for Jesus himself to return? Not just for the world to get better, but for your Lord to see him, to be with him, to know him. The second to last verse in the Bible. In that verse, Jesus prophesies his own return. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things, to the book of Revelation, says, yes, I am coming soon. And the very next words are our response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Are you waiting? I bet you're wondering what's the artifact in the box for today. Every, every Sunday, every once a month, we've had this box up here. What do you think is in here? Nothing this week. Because this is not really about our past. This is about our future. And our future, for those who are in Christ, is glorious. I do have a couple of pictures, though of things from the past that point to the future. Does anybody recognize this? This is the time capsule from the 100th anniversary. Did anybody know where it's buried? You know where that time capsule is? Yep. A lot of people are pointing right out here, right over by this door over here, right? You've probably seen it. Kids see it when they're running in the bushes and they run into it, yeah. It says that we're to open it in the year 2042, okay? So that's a 50-year time capsule. 25 years ago, the folks here, many in this room, buried that time capsule. Anybody remember what's in it? That's before my time. I have no idea. Probably some pictures, maybe some letters. Somebody told me that there was some Kids for Christ stuff in there. If the Lord holds off his return, and if he gives me life, I hope to be present at the opening of that time capsule in another 25 years. I'll be 69 years old that year, and if I'm retired, I hope the church invites me back to witness it. I'll recognize a lot of those names. That's the future. Here's another set of time capsules that we have buried. My son is very familiar with all of these as he's helped with the mowing at the cemetery for the last several years. These are all time capsules as well. Not that we'll dig them up, but the Lord will. Because the Bible says one day every grave will be opened and the Lord will give His people new resurrection life. Not as zombies. 
but as glorified saints and citizens of the new heavens and the new earth. Philippians chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like His glorious body. The Christians in Thessalonica were concerned about their loved ones who had died before the Lord returned. They knew the Lord was returning and soon. And they were worried that those whom they had buried were somehow missing out on the resurrection. I thought I'd be here by now. So this is what Paul said to assure them and what I'll end with, I'll, I'll end with for us today. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, die, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. We don't get first dibs. They get first dibs. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive, though we don't have much time left either, we don't know when our death will come, but we who are still alive then will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. Don't let go of the return of Christ. Keep it in front of you. It's our blessed hope. His coming changes everything. And it makes it all worth it. Let's all be ready. And let's all be waiting for Jesus to come again.